Scott, we've got Real Water Sports and NBS Fins with us today. Well, I got I'm glad you brought up NVS fins because I posted a photo of one of my favorite surfboards made by Wayne Rich, but it has NVS fins on it. It has the album quad set. Uh, and I just absolutely love those fins. I don't have a set of NVS fins that I don't like. Like they're no. all go to to me, they're premier top quality, like they're next level. Like I won't even touch too much of the other fins, you know. I've got a Futures NVS. I've got FCS NVS. It kind of feels like top shelf, you know, premier. Like when you're cooking with or baking with really good utensils, like, the, like you know, what's that like really famous? Le um, Creuset. Yes, thank you. Le Creuset. NVS fins like is the Le Creuset of the surfing world. Yes, exactly. That's, you nailed it. <laughs> um <laughs> that might be an outdoor so, reference however i'm not sure everyone's going to get that reference i but think anyway. most of our fans if they've lif- listened over the years they've become cooking and baking fans just because they listened um but as you state the nbs fins they have futures tabs or fcs tabs so whatever boards you have whatever you normally have ridden in the past you could just use the nbs fins in the that tab um but the reason why I think they're high quality is that G10 construction with laminate that they use. And so they're kind of bulletproof. You know, they yeah. not only do they hold up forever, they look brand new. The ones that I have that are like two or three years old look brand new still. Yeah, so. I agree. They're, it's it's kind of like there's NVS and then there's everything else kind of below it. You know what I mean? Totally. As totally. far as like the just you just know you know it's like you just know enameled, that there's enameled cast iron it lasts forever go. thank you so you know all the buzzwords um that's what lake say is um and by the way nvs is also carried you can get them on surfnvs.com we don't have a promo code any longer but they do um carry them at realwatersports.com which is another one of our sponsors. And they're actually in the middle of a uh, midwinter clearance sale right now. Oh. So there's, we always talk about their surfboards and there's surfboards that are a part of that, that are literally $200 off, but there's also leashes, traction, board socks, board bags, backpacks, tools, like all sorts of other accessories that are up to 70% off. So I don't know if, if you behave in the same sort of consumer style that I do, but I, what I do generally do is I'll stock up, like I'll buy like 10 leashes at a time and I'll buy a box of wax. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And, and so that it's just like there for me to grab, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not like always going, Oh shit, I got to go again and buy, you know, wax or whatever or a leash. So, I'm going to go over to real water sports right now and stock up on some essentials like leashes, things like that. That's a great idea. Yeah. I don't consume that way, but I probably should because there's times where I'm out of things and uh, that's stupid. There's no need for that at this point. I don't want to go to the surf shop. You know what I mean? No offense. I love the surf shop, but. But when you're in, when you're on your way, you're beat to the beach and you just want to get there. That's the last. Time. That's exactly it. You nailed it. 
And you know what's funny? As I'm just looking down in my fin drawer here, I'm like, oh, I'll pull out some NVS fins. I realized all my boards that are in my racks are already stocked with all my NVS fins. So I don't have any in my drawer. <laughs> They're in the boards. You know what I mean? Totally. Awesome. Well, thanks to those um, supporters, NVS, surfnvs.com, and of course, realwatersports.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. It's a day of complete yeah, guy ism. Uh, and that's because of the Sunset Beach contest, David. Oh, my. My, oh, my. We just completed two full days of competition coming off of the incredible event that was Pipeline. This is a phenomenal follow-up. It's entirely as exciting and dramatic, just a totally different style. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And of course, it helps when there's a massive, super crazy swell that's rolling in and Sunset Beach in Hawaii, Oahu, the North Shore once again delivers as far as, you know, from, from our perspective, you and I and user consumers, we want to see the really good waves. And uh, as, as we've said, as has been our mantra, uh, the waves are the stars. And that's certainly the case here because it gives these professional surfers the opportunity to showcase their talents. Well, one huge difference between the two venues is seems like a lot of those surfers um, have surfed pipe before and they know kind of what to expect and how to approach it. Sunset beach has laid waste to a lot of people who would otherwise be incredible talents. Laid waste. Absolutely. It's wiped to them clean, like a windshield wiper. I mean, um, completely yeah. makes people look like fools. They don't even know where to sit. By the way, I'm not sure if you can hear me. I can. Okay. Are you having a, a problem with the audio? Me too. No. You know what I've noticed? What? is that I have this horrible um, habit of making sounds into my microphone when you're talking. Like I'll make, like I'll go like this, I'll go. Like, like weird stuff. Like, so I've been taking my microphone away from my, when you're talking, I'm trying to take my microphone away from my mouth because I end up making all these hideous noises. So it's only taken you eight years to figure that out? <laughs> No, I've known it all along, but it's taken me eight years to, to come up with a solution, which is going like this. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I remember one show where you were clipping your nails on air and, <laughs> and I didn't say anything because I'm like, I don't know. I just don't, you know, and yeah. um, and I also don't know like what actually gets picked up by audio, but a listener ended up emailing. They're like. Was Scott literally clipping his nails? There's only one sound in the world that that could have possibly been. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it was. Yeah. Important. yeah. It was a male grooming segment. Um, anyways, uh, Sunset Beach. Sunset Beach. Yeah. This, so... this, I'm going to say you have advocated 
hard and long for Sunset Beach. And I agreed with you along the way, but I can't take credit for really like calling that exact venue out. You're the guy who for at these eight years that you've been making noise into the microphone, you've been talking about Sunset Beach. Yeah. And, and I've been talking about it like that even before when when Marty Thomas and I were doing it, because Marty was a big believer in Sunset Beach on tour. And and I think any surfer that's surfed Sunset Beach knows that, first of all, it's a part of our history. I mean, it goes back to competitively, you know, to the Duke event. And of course, you know, 1963, Greg Knoll, like it's just a part of who we are. It's a part of our culture. And to, to not have the most famous sort of, I don't want to, I guess I'll say big wave venue, but just like larger than life venue, uh, not on tour is a Travis Sham mockery. And now we have it back on tour and it's, it's shown why it's important because it does kind of put everyone on equal footing. Everyone has to figure it out each and every time there's, it doesn't matter if you've surfed 30 years out there. I mean, it does actually, but, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, you know, as we saw on the first day of competition, when it's unruly and um, sort of showing all its fangs and the swells on the rise, it just is, it's a little bit of controlled chaos and it's a fascinating venue. And I will say that it does help that they have the jet ski assist as oh, far yeah. as, um, you know, getting the surfers out into the lineup. They're still getting cleaned up. But it truly is a test of what it means to be a surfer on the North Shore of Oahu, to be able to understand the, you know, the, the radical nuance, if you will, of Sunset Beach. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts? I sent you a text on the first day. What were those texts? Do you recall? Yeah, it was about positioning. It was talking was, about yeah. how nobody is sitting outside. And um, you had your volume down. You were listening to music, I guess. But... I will say kudos to the commentary because Makua Rothman in particular was continually calling that out. He's like, and, but guys were surfing well on the inside, but he kept saying like, look, miles, I could just envision miles Padaka and Marcus Hickman and Poncho Sullivan doing four or five swoops out the back and then getting that inside section. So if they're giving this kid a seven doing a couple turns on that inside section imagine if he started on the outside doing big snowboard carves yeah he makua nailed it i'm glad you brought that up i did not listen to too much of the commentary and and he's absolutely right i mean that's what sunset beach is now granted i will say you know it was 15 feet like it was borderline maxing sunset and so what that means to catch those waves on that very first day you do need a big, big surfboard. Like you cannot ride a 6'10 or even a 7'2 or a 7'4. You need an eight-foot surfboard with about three and a half inches of volume in the chest just to be out there, way out there, to catch those things and to move around, you know, just to get to, get to them. And they're, they're such fast-moving waves as well. So that begs the question, well, if you ride that, eight foot surfboard that's three and a quarter inches thick by the time you do get to the inside look you've got a big ass surfboard under your feet and you're simply not going to be able to to do some of the more sensitive wraps that we saw on that inside section but 
my comment to that is, hey, you've got basically the entire tour to do really sensitive, incredible fin releasing top turns, you know, like do that at friggin, you know, bells or wherever, you know, we've got sunset beach for a reason. And it's to, to do those Gary Kong Elkerton rolling up the window, friggin late drops on an eight foot board. And what the other thing that the commentators have said, which they always say, and which is absolutely a truism of sunset beach is this is a wave for the bottom turn. And this outside section is the bottom turn of bottom turns. And if you set up, if your first turn is, is in rhythm with the wave, you're set up for the rest of the wave. And there, yeah, there's a little bit of a flat stop, a flat spot between the outside and the inside. You've got an eight foot board. I guarantee you from experience, I know you're going to be able to make it as long as there's a wall. Some of those just die out. Some of those yeah. big sets just go into deep water and there's no corner on it. And that's where it comes into, you know, you've got to pick up the West Northwest ones. You don't, the pure West peaks sometimes just fade into oblivion. But again, it, it's about time in the water out there. And I, I applaud uh, Makua and all the other commentators, whoever they may have been, that kind of call BS on that because it is BS. You need to be riding an eight foot board out there when it's 18 feet. Yeah. And you said, look, we have all these other spots on tour that you can do radical surfing. That's true. But we also have Margaret River that allows you to do kind of what they're doing at the inside section of sunset because Margaret river doesn't have that outside section. So we do have what you're saying. We have the shreddable waves, but in between sunset and the shreddable waves, we would still have guys riding larger boards on an open ocean wave doing bigger open face carves, you know? So we have everything. The only thing they're not utilizing is exactly what you're saying. The outside section. Um, the one thing I do love about, or not the one thing, but in regard to everything that we're talking about, you know, if you were learning how to surf tomorrow and you got a big day at Cardiff, it would feel like sunset beach to you for your very first day out. And that chaos and fear and all that kind of stuff, um, we don't get to see the best surfers in the world, the tour surfers experience that often, because even when they're surfing big barreling waves, there's a channel, you know, and they, they can kind of know how to approach it. This sets everybody back into that primary fear that we all experience when we first start surfing. And even though I'm not just learning how to surf now, there's plenty of spots that I go to within the course of a year that can make me feel exactly like that again. And so I think that's what we love about sunset. It's one of the few last playing fields that makes Kelly Slater look like he's still learning how to navigate a lineup, you know? Yeah. I recall a conversation when I was working at surfer magazine with Evan Slater, who is the editor. And we had this discussion about where would you rather take a wipeout? Would it be at Pipeline or would it be at Sunset Beach? And, you know, Evan was like, Sunset Beach, it's such deep water. I don't want to take a wipeout there. I'd much rather take a wipeout at Pipe. Yeah, it's a little bit more vigorous and it might shake you a little bit more. I don't know. That's actually to be. That's but be, you get it over with. Hopefully. You get it over with. Yeah, you yeah. pop up really quick where. A sunset, you're rolling and rolling and rolling and you come up. Now, I, I told Evan, I was like, I'd rather go to sunset because I'm the king of diving. You know, like I'll push and dive 
and get under, get deep enough so that that all that stuff rolls over me and I can then kind of scrape up and take my breath. But anyway, point but is, not, is, yeah, not if you like, I don't know, did you see Connor O'Leary's wipeout late yesterday where he got his um, rash guard ripped off of him? Well, he tried to hit the lip late, but he mistimed it. He was just like off timing. So he was late. And then the lip was particularly fast. So he just like threw it up there. And so he couldn't dive. He just got smashed by the full weight of that big end section. It was a gnarly, gnarly wipeout. So in the worst predicament at sunset, you would not choose that. You would choose pipe over the worst predicament at sunset, you know? Yeah. I meant more like as you're paddling out. Yeah. 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 yeah, You're right. Look, every spot's on the North shore, super dangerous and gnarly. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, I will say that yesterday, so we're recording, it's Thursday morning here, David, and yesterday was day two, Wednesday, and and of course the swell and everything kind of cleaned up, it, it tamed itself a little bit, it was still very sizable, and the guys were picking off waves out the back, to their credit, so, um, you know, kudos to them for, for that, you know, the first day, Tuesday was just, um, the bottom line is, is that all of our surf heroes from the past would have been out there. Uh, all the guys that, and all the regulars at sunset are like, this is lame. Look at these quote unquote pro surfers who aren't catching 15 foot West peak sunset, like, you know, Al Chapman or a host of, you know, Ken Bradshaw, or there's, you know, you could name a hundred guys that, that, that have done it like that in the past Peter, in Peter competition, Cole. Mark Fu, Peter Cole. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And so those guys are all in their cars sitting on the beach going, these guys are lame. They call themselves pros. Yeah. Well, speaking of pros, um, let's dissect the actual competition a little bit. Let me lay this out for you. Cause I haven't heard the commentary team speak on this yet of last year's top five. Let's go down the list. Gabriel Medina Gonzo. He's in last place. I haven't even seen him yet. Idolo, two seventeenths. Morgan Siblick, two last place. Uh, Connor Coffin, I think two last places as well, 33rds. The only man remaining of the top five is the one guy that we would have expected to not make it in Hawaii at all. And that is Felipe Toledo. Yeah. And that's a great, and um, that's sort of a great commentary. It's a great way to look at things. And as you know, it speaks more than anything, I believe to, well, a couple things. One, the crappy waves on tour last year. And two, just the nature of Hawaii—that it's that it's sort of unpredictable, and the waves are, and the competition and the results of the competition are rather unpredictable. And I think that's what we get here. You know, Morgan Sibilic doesn't surprise me that he's not in it. You know, um, Connor, yeah, sort of surprises us a little bit. Connor surprises me. Gabe, we know especially at sunset. Yeah, but but again, you know. You can't really pick sunsets a hard one. Speak, you know, sunsets a hard super way hard. To, to pick who's going to do well. Yeah, it just is. Yeah, and so like you were saying, Gabriel Medina. That we understand that, but the big surprise is Idolo. Yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, it's almost like he's having his sophomore slump a year late. Yeah, you know, like he's too frothed, or you know, he's signed too many great sponsorship deals and he's got too much mojo going and he's he might have too much on his plate and he's not as focused as we'd 
hope that, and again, I don't know this to be the case. I'm just assuming. I'm trying to figure out why. There is something about that. There is something about overamp. And I was joking, I think last week about like him being too concerned about flexing his abs on Instagram, but it's not really a joke. It's kind of like, dude, when you're trying to maintenance all this other kind of artifice and I don't know, more of like the superficial getting caught up in the hype, um, your eye's not on the prize and the prize should just be winning heats. And that seems to be the one thing that I think maybe he just was so, it came so easily for him. He was just doing it with such dominance for so long that now he's kind of not focused on it. And there's so many young guns, like all this new rookie crop has been incredibly impressive to me, certainly at the pipe event for the names that we already talked about. But now at this event too, I'm like, holy cow, Jackson Baker kids, legit. Caleb Robson, Jake freaking Marshall. Holy cow. You know? And so I think that Idolo wasn't even, he didn't even know those guys' names probably, you know, like he was not paying any attention at all and they're catching him looking the other way. Yeah. It's pretty cool that there's a sense of parody. Whereas before you, like even you and I were like, who's like when the tour started this year, we were like, okay, who's in the bottom half. And some guys, I, I can't speak for you, but I was like, I don't even know if he's a regular foot or a goofy foot. I don't right. even know who Caleb ropes and is right. You know what I mean, is he a Brazilian? Is he Australian? Is he South African? I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. Well, so uh, I think Idolo will tighten everything up. It, the good news is it's not a long road for Idolo to figure things out. He can easily just make a quick little shift because he's got the talent, obviously, and he's fit enough. Um, and then, but Felipe Toledo is the one thing that I wanted to talk about of that top five because I said this last week, you poo pooed it, but I really do think it's actually true, which is it's a result of him being a savvy competitor. The reason why he made heats at pipe, the reason why he's making heats at sunset, he's dodging waves that other guys are making. Like Morgan Siblick is like, I got to get on the best wave. And then he finds himself out of sorts on that best wave. Cause he doesn't know sunset that well. I feel like Felipe is going, I don't know sunset that well. I'm going to pick off a medium one. I'm going to zing the crap out of it. And just see what the judges think of that. And then they give him a six, five or a seven, you know, and his competitor is left with one big score and not a backup score or something like that. And so at pipe, he was kind of doing that too, taking the medium ones, getting a six. And uh, it's a result of, I think, savvy competition. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this guy's been at this game for a long time. He's truly a professional. I'm sure that he and his coaches are looking at the lineup before his heat and going, Hey, where can I manufacture? Where can I get a 7.5? Where can I get an eight here? What, you know, and, and, oh, the judges just gave this guy that. Oh, okay. So I'm going to go do, I'm going to pick those ones off and do I'm going to look for that. You know what I mean? You're right. He's, he's just a savvy competitor. He's a, a professional in many ways, sort of the polar opposite of maybe what Elo's doing. You know, Elo's like, yeah. I'm going to go out there and shred, you know, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to just go Tasmanian devil on every wave that pops up and, and it's the exact opposite for Felipe, who's much more calculated. He's looking at it. He's kind of got more like Barton Lynch vibe than he does, you know, whatever Idolo's vibe is, you know, Tasmanian devil. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, it took him a few years for it to actually, for that equation to actually work. But with Gabriel gone, with Idolo kind of sidetracked, this is his now moment. And he's, he's delivering. Yeah. He, I mean, they, Arguably, that heat with Ethan Ewing and Felipe was 
well, on paper it was, I think it was the, the highest, was that the highest yeah. scoring heat? I believe it was the highest scoring heat. And I mean, he, you know, it's unfortunate. I think Rosie said it's unfortunate that he didn't get through the heat because he was surfing on point. He was Ethan. Surfing. Oh, oh well, yeah. No, Felipe. 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 You're right. Uh, Ethan Ewing is insane. Like he's the closest thing to, I'm going to say he's the closest thing to Tom Curran as far as like panache and style and flow that I've seen in a long time. I'm not saying he is Tom Curran. Please, <laughs> let's not go that far. That would be uh, hyperbole. But Ethan Ewing is my new favorite surfer on tour. I know you've been a fan of his forever, but I'm sort of jumping back on the Ethan Ewing bandwagon. And I mean, what he, he surfed well at Pipe, too. He's, I know he didn't get far, but the guy... I'm thinking Ethan Ewing's going to be a top fiver. His his fundamentals and style are so so good. Like I and Kelly actually said this a while back. Um, it might have been in the stab series that they did where they asked them their top yeah, five surfers. That's right. That's right. And Kelly said, um, "Yeah, Ethan, his his results don't show it, but quietly all along." He's got the best style, the best fundamentals. And once everything kind of clicks for him and look, that heat was an example, like that type of a heat has happened to him repeatedly. And he was on tour two years ago. He got bumped off tour because he kept having heats like that, where he's surfing incredibly, but then he draws Felipe and Felipe is surfing incredibly. And then Ethan just barely loses on this occasion. Thankfully it went Ethan's way, but it's a joy to watch. Everybody draws the comparison to Andy Irons. And I think that's actually really apt. The style is very, very similar. Yeah. That's a great call. And maybe this is, and I would suggest to you that this was the heat where he's kind of got that off. He's got the monkey off his back. He's, I think Ethan Ewing is going to be the surprise top five guy this year. Uh, And maybe it's not a surprise to many who've been, you know, like us who follow the tour, but, Ethan Ewing is on the rise, probably more so than any surfer I can think of after two events. I know it's not a very big sample size. Yeah. Um, other stories. Should, the Kelly Slater priority thing was kind of the biggest story, I think, yesterday. Um, with the overlapping heats, there's a priority rule that's in place that is you're not allowed to, well, and this actually goes regardless of the prior of the other heats, but this happened to take place with one heat versus the other. And that is if you cross another surfer's line, you automatically get an interference and your only one wave counts. And so by crossing lines, that means Kelly Slater took off deep and he was up and riding. John, John Florence was in the priority heat. And John John decided to spin and go on whitewash. And Kelly was actually already doing the bottom turn when John John was paddling up the face. John John turned and actually took off sideways. If you look at that slow mo footage from the water, John John's getting pushed into that wave sideways. So Kelly's bottom turning, looking up at John John, making a split second decision to go sideways and spin and go. So John John gets up to his feet, kind of at the bottom of the whitewash, Kelly's already kicking out of the wave, but John John's going over Kelly's tracks. So Kelly did not hinder John John's score in any way. Kelly assessed what was happening in real time and made the best decision possible, but 
John John did cross Kelly's line. So the Kelly, rule is Kelly crossed John John's line. Yeah. Thank you. Thank no John John was up and he crossed Kelly's bottom. Turn, yeah, yeah, what okay, I meant. yeah. But yeah. Um, so the rule is black and white. There's no gray area in this rule. So Kelly kicks out, doesn't hinder John's score. John John gets up and riding. He ends up losing that heat, but Kelly gets a priority against him and ends up losing his heat as well. Yeah, it's funny. I you did a great job of breaking it down. I didn't see it that way, but maybe I can be persuaded. I saw it as more like Kelly sees John John and Kelly then has the opportunity to just go straight. And to me, it looked like Kelly was like, almost like, come on, I'm Kelly. And again, I'm, there's, there's a lot I'm assuming here. No one knows what was going on in Kelly Slater's head at this time. But I know Kelly to be the greatest of all time competitively. And so I know him to be able to assess the situation and go, John John can spin on this wave and go, and he has priority. And why wouldn't he? It's a pretty good wave. But I'm just going to do a bottom turn and kind of like go, John John, dude, it's me. Don't go, bro. Come on. Like, I, I sense that Kelly could have straightened out. I sense that the Kelly Slater of 10 years ago would have said it's not worth the potential of an interference here. If John's going to go, I don't know, but I'm not going to take the chance. And I'm just going to straighten out here. And I think and I sense that he kind of went, hey, it's me, your, your dad. <laughs> let me have this way John like, i don't give a shit who it is i'm going no so i think that could have been true if john john was out the back paddling into the wave and then kelly's bottom turn and he sees john john's making a concerted effort then maybe that would have applied but the way i saw that wave i mean john john's paddling out towards it as kelly's coming down the line if Kelly would have straightened out when he would have needed to, and then John John just duck dove and didn't go on the wave, it would have been a completely wasted effort. So Kelly had to commit to that bottom turn to kind of assess what John John was going to do. And at that point, when John John spun in the whitewash, if Kelly had straightened out, they could have collided. You know, like that trajectory would have then put him and John John in harm. Or if Kelly would have jumped, his board would have been in the way potentially of John John. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. So I think I think that the safest possible line, and again, that line was actually already eroded or or rendered not a threat because the whitewash of the wave. You know, like Kelly got out of the way with plenty of time for John John to get up and do his thing without really running into Kelly's line. He ran into Kelly's imaginary line at that point. Yeah. I try. I was just trying to rewatch it. I rewatched this this morning because I knew we were going to talk about it. And again, my take on it is, I, my take on it is, Kelly was just like John. John's not going to do this because it's me. And I, and I could be wrong, but that's how I that's how I sort of simplify it. Yeah, is that John John's <clears throat> not going to do this because it's me, Kelly Slater, and come on, bro. And, well, and, and, I, and again, I could be wrong. You know, like I I'm, think I'm sure that Kelly spoke about it. I didn't hear the post. He, he did. He did. And he said he said what I said, which was oh, okay. he was making the assessment in real time. And he thought that that line was the safest line out, basically, if John John were to go across his line isn't the safest line out to cross his line and, is the line for an interference. So I see I, I sometimes think that Kelly's so savvy, he says the right thing to try to get everyone to be on his side about it. But 
again, I watched it on purpose. I, you know, and I, I sense that he could have straightened out and that would have been the thing that Kelly did 10 years ago to maintain his, you know, his opportunity to advance through that heat. I think if it was very evident that John John was going, he would have straightened out. But again, the I potential think- was there for John John to go. That's my point is yeah. that he's savvy enough to know that the potential is there for John John to go. Well, motivations aside, okay, because we're kind of discussing whether or not Kelly knew and what his motivation was. They try to create these black and white rules so that motivation doesn't matter. I think this is a rule that they might need to amend, you know, um, because there are moments where you can cross. That was a moment where you cross the line. It doesn't hinder anybody. Yeah, but once you start making these subjective calls from a judging standpoint, you open up Pandora's box. It's much better to be like, hey, how about this? Straighten out or don't go. And if it's a situation where, oh, like like the stars aligned and it wasn't like it was just, well, guess what? You know what? That happens once every 30 years. Yeah, I think that surfing requires subjectivity. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's almost a fool's errand to try to make it objective. And let me ask you I, this. Do you think yeah. that Kelly Slater could have straightened out? Yeah, he could have. Yeah. Thank you. Well, he should have. Otherwise you're rolling the dice. Is he going to go? Is John John going to go? Or is John John not going to go? Hmm, I don't know. He knows it's me and we're kind of bros. So maybe he'll just give me this wave. That's what I think was going down. Yeah. Now again, I, I'm but that's probably okay. I'm, wrong. I'm not here to be like, say I'm an expert. I just sense that competitively, the greatest competitive surfer of all time has the moxie to realize I should probably straighten out, but I think I'm just going to continue through this bottom turn. There's no way John's going to go on me. Come on, bro. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I probably am. I'm just saying. I'm not bothered that anybody's making those assessments in competition, you know, like, that is what you do in competition. The the question of could he have straightened out? Yeah, and it would have ruined the line. It would have like if if he had made that adjustment and then John John doesn't go, then Kelly's out of sync for the rest of the wave, yeah, and it's well, it's a pointless wave anyways. Yeah, and so I mean, you're. I know it sucks, but that's it's way better than having an interference. Yeah, but I think that there's there's room in the rule book to allow for both things to happen. So like like lay with down a, the rule then lay down so with the a, new with rule. a slight with a slight adjustment to the rule um which is if you what? don't if you don't hinder that other person's uh line projection whatever then there's no issue and the reality is i mean i'd have to go back and look john john look. might john john may not have even gotten to his feet until after he crossed kelly's line cuz he came slaying down that if whitewash you, sideways yeah. I think he might've crossed Kelly's line because it was already in the whitewash at that point, then got to his feet. So there was actually no line by the time he was up and running. What, what if John would have fallen when he went to his feet? What if he would have just pearled and fell? Then the judges have to make a decision whether or not that was Kelly's fault. Cause I, I, right. And, and cause I watched it, like I said, I watched it over and over and there's certainly Kelly's line, the wake from Kelly's line was certainly involved in John, John, John had to cross it. Okay. There was something there, even if it was unnoticeable, 
even if we couldn't even see it. The bottom line is, is that John has priority. John has priority. You know, yeah. and you've got to give John a clean slate. Yeah. And even if you look, watch it again right now and you're like, oh, I didn't see any wake whatsoever. It didn't even affect John John. It was in John John's head. Yeah. Yeah. If he crossed, if you're right, if there was a wake, then you have to consider that. In my memory, if there wasn't a wake, my point is, is that. Well, no, you can't factor John that. John's- you can't factor that in because then what if somebody's just paddling out in your line of sight? They well, get he didn't he didn't he didn't ride the wave. Doesn't matter if if the what you're saying is oh it's in his mind that there was something. Well, that's where you draw the that's- line with the rule. The rule is if you're up on up and riding on the wave, you cannot cross the line of the surfer who has priority. If you're well, paddling out, look, that's just life. You know, yeah. you're paddling out. You know, that's what happens. Everyone paddles out, but you didn't like go on somebody else's priority and start well, doing turns. To Kelly's credit, when they did yeah. interview him and ask him about it, he did accept blame. He explained well, his he explained his side and why he did what he did, why he made the decisions that he made. But then he was like, "Look, it's it is a black and white rule. I was wrong. Like I I made the wrong decision. It happens occasionally." And said something to the effect of like, I hate sunset and sunset hates me or something like that. Really? Yeah. I didn't hear that. I think he said that to Strider when he was paddling out. Um, What do you think? That's actually an interesting point, right? Because this is the one place that's sort of that the, that the goat has never, I don't know. I'm sure he's had a result there. I'm sure he's had at least a quarterfinal at some point in his life. He's probably even made the final like back in, I don't you know, think he's made the final. 1999 or something. I think he's avoided the event for the most part. But I mean, it is so kind of a black look? eye. And so how I don't do... know if black eyes are right. Maybe that's too harsh. But hold on. Let me, I got to get my dog. <laughs> when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply is the sunset beach event and the the surf location known as sunset beach is it again i don't want to say a black eye on kelly slater's career 
Is there a caveat? Is there an asterisk? Is there, is there something that there's, I mean, he's admitted that it's problematic for him. Um, I know he's, has he won an, a, a title at every single event on tour? Isn't that no one idea. of his, isn't that one of his records? I have no idea. That seems kind of odd because there's been spots that were like the rip curl search were one-offs. Yeah. But I think most of the spots where there's been a tour event year after year after year, he's won everywhere. Yeah. I'm not but sure. Maybe, um, I, that could be I a misnomer. Well, I don't think it's um, an asterisk or the black eye or anything like that. I think it's uh, a testament to how sunset is gnarly. I love that it's kind of rendered Kelly um, human looking, you know, I think it's great. Um, how do you feel? So I was looking forward to seeing him surf sunset because even if he didn't win the comp, because it has all of this aura around bad mojo for Kelly, I just wanted to see how he did out there. What did you think about his surfing? Well, I, I totally agree. And let me be clear. I mean, if you're a first time listener, you might not know this, but David and I are huge Kelly Slater fans and I, so more than you, I'm rooting for Kelly Slater. I would love for him to win the world title. I would. And I want him to do well at every event. And, and it, for my wife and I, Kelly's heats are like must watch TV. Like we tune in for Kelly because we want to see him do good. I'm rooting for Kelly Slater. I'm a huge fan. I'm a fanboy. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, you and I, our job here is to sort of opine a little bit. And so um, that's what I'm doing. I totally agree. I thought he surfed well, like the waves he rode, he's, he surfs beautifully. You know, he does, you know, it was unfort, it was a bummer, you know, like, you know, he, he surfs with, he surfs like Kelly. He's just got a, he's a great, great, the greatest of all time. He's a wonderful surfer. And so I want him to do well. And I thought the waves that he surfed were great, you know, and I would be super psyched if we were going, Hey, today he's in the quarterfinals. Oh my God. It would make, for me, it would make much better, um, you know, consumer end must watch TV for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that he can't surf the wave. That would be silly. That would be stupid. And maybe there is just this thing that it's almost like that he brings with him that I'm not going to do well here because I never have, you know, there's, he surfs well there because he's a great surfer, but he doesn't have the timing figured out the way John, John, Jack Robinson and Baron Mamiya do um, where they're, you know, there's so much happening between a bottom turn and a top turn. The wave is changing so much where those guys constantly are placing the hook top turn right in kind of the most critical part of the wave. Kelly's never quite doing that. And he's never quite pulling up into the barrel at that one moment that it flares the way that Jack Robinson does. Kelly does that everywhere else in the world. Kelly knows every undulation of cloud break. He knows exactly which waves to go on backdoor and pipeline and, and trestles, you know, and J everywhere else, J-Bay. So that's the one thing. It's like Kelly surfs well, so he'll get on a wave and, you know, get it, serve it to a six or a seven at sunset, but he's not quite timing it as well as those other guys. That's the only difference I could see. I think if we went back over time and watched Kelly's heats, I think he, I think you would see moments where he does find that little flaring inside ball and he does, he's too good not to, do you know that I want to say Kelly won a heat 
going left at sunset against Andy Irons. He pulled into a barrel, didn't he? Wasn't that? Am I, I fully, wrong here? I Wasn't fully the, yeah. remember that. And Kaipo told a story about Andy Irons getting a barrel and going going left and getting a barrel and winning an event out there. And I was like, man, Kaipo's not wrong, I'm sure. But I don't I remember was, that. I thought it was Kelly. That I remember that. him getting a 10 doing it. Yeah. And like, and, and for some reason, and we must be wrong because our memories are a little shot, but I remember it being a heat with Andy Irons and like he got the barrel and he, and he was in front and he came out in front of Andy Irons, but maybe I don't this, remember. Is how, this is I don't, how stories get made up. I don't remember Andy uh, being in the water for that heat, but I do remember Kelly getting a 10 on a left yeah. at sunset. But the fact that nobody's mentioned it made me think I was wrong. And then Kaipo telling the Andy story, I was exactly. like, I don't know, maybe I'm confused. Somewhere in there is the truth. I'm not sure where it is. And I know that Kelly would remember, and I'd like to hear his take on it. But um, yeah, I I don't agree with you that Kelly doesn't have Sunset Beach figured out. I don't think, I think he does. I think, as we've mentioned, it's, there's so much water moving around there that, that you know, certain at certain times, people don't look like they're completely on their game. But I think that's the case for Jack Robinson at certain moments during this competition. I mean, I look at guys like um, Ethan Ewing, you know, like how much time has Ethan Ewing put out there? I don't know, but I bet, I bet Kelly's surfed out there more than Ethan Ewing has. And Ethan looks, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that you just got to chalk that up to sunset beach more than anything. And yeah. Okay. In this event, maybe you didn't see him do the same type of surfing that Jack Robinson's doing, but. I, I just, well, Kelly, Kelly agrees with me, so I don't need you to. <laughs> Kelly stated I, this is his kryptonite. Everybody on the commentary team is commenting on it. It is what it is. Well, it's then there is an asterisk. Well, then there is an asterisk. There's no asterisk for Kelly. I mean, it, it just, you know what I mean? Like the guy's got a glorious career. This one little thing that's his hang up isn't, it's just a little kryptonite. Here's, my, here, here's my not so hot take. He rides the wrong boards. He likes to ride such small boards, and I think you need a little bit more rail out there or something. It Everybody just like his boards are a little off. So that could be the conversation about most of the surfers out there. Yes. Um, and again, the commentary team was calling it out early. Early Griffin heats. Griffin was riding a six two or something. What thankfully, I know. Thankfully, later he got on a six six, and you could tell instantly it was like, oh my gosh, why is he surfing so much better? It's that extra four inches of surfboard, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of surfers who just want to be able to hook it, but it's like, but the crazy thing is, the ones who know best, Kelly and Baron, or not Kelly, John, John and Baron, they're still riding their six twos. Yeah. So the, the surfers who are expected to do well in this event, Jordy Smith, Jack Robinson, John, John Florence, Zeke Lau, Connor Coffin, Baron Mamiya, um, by and large are setting the pace. John, John lost Connor lost, but otherwise those other guys have set the pace for the event. Jack Robinson, Jordy, Zeke, Jordy actually lost, I think, but he did. Um, yeah. Well, he lost, lost to Zeke. Yeah. Um, a couple things. Jordy surfed amazing. He had a really tough heat yesterday, that round of 32 heat against um, Jackson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Baker, Jackson, right? Yeah. Wasn't yeah, Jackson yeah. Baker? And, man, Jackson had him on the ropes early, and Jordy just was like, uh, let me show you how it's done out here. And uh, he, he banged a couple great waves. Got a 7.73 seven, seven, and an 8.5. 
You know, what we often see out here is guys with sort of larger frames, like, yeah. like Miles Padaka, like Jordy Smith, Jake Marshall fits into this. I think Jake Marshall's large sort of gangly frame is suited for Sunset Beach, much more so than, you know, wherever else he's going to go on tour here, Bells or, or well, you know, one of the other I, smaller wave venues. Obviously, you and I had the Jake Marshall, Carlos Munoz bet from the beginning of the season. Carlos is out with injury. I said, how's, I'm like, Jake at sunset, like how much experience does he have at sunset? And you're like, I don't know. You wait and see. Like, I think he'll do pretty good at sunset. Dude, Jake is the story of sunset. I mean, he's one of the stories. Yeah. For, he had at pipeline, he drew Kelly Slater, unfortunately. Yeah. So he lost. But out here at sunset in the round of 32, he had a tough draw too. Who was that? Do you remember? Um, I'm looking it up. But oh, yeah. John John Florence. Yeah, Jake duh. drew John John Florence and he beat John John at sunset. I mean, that was unbelievable. And so now he's in uh, the round of 16. He got, he took down Connor O'Leary. So now he's in the quarterfinals. Yeah, the quarterfinals are fascinating. Um, when we break them down, and by the way, they're going to happen here. I hope you, we can get to publish this episode quickly or it's going to be kind of mute. But, uh, mute. mute. Thank well, you. Not- it's... It's a matter of whether they're going to run the women or not today. And that's a talking point as well. Oh, yeah, that is. Where are Um, the women? Well, let me real quick get to the quarterfinals and then we'll get into the women. Um, Bear with me here. I'm trying to pull it up. Heat number one, Kyle versus Zeke. Heat number two, Baron versus Seth. Heat number three, Ethan versus Jake Marshall. Heat number four, Jack Robinson and Kanoa Igarashi. So... Zeke gets through heat one and beats Kyle, although Kyle has been sneaky, 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 right? Kyle just surfs like, I don't care. Whatever happens, I'm not even on tour anyway. And he just absolutely, he's just got the loose, he's got, he's looser than anybody. And he, he gets, he goes on insane waves and eats crap half the time. (laughs) And then he's right out the back going on another insane one. You're like, dude, this guy is, he's unfazable. Yeah. And then, Baron and Seth in Heat Two, that might be the heat of the day. I don't know who gets through that one, but you sense that Zeke Lau is going to be going up against Seth Moniz in the in the semis. I don't know. That's it's really a toss up. It is a toss up. It is. And then Heat Three, unfortunately, you got to think Ethan Ewing's going to going to like shut down the beautiful run of Jake Marshall. Except Ethan, again, in past years. You'd expect him to win these heats and he drops the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's why they surf, right? Like if it was as easy as picking them, people wouldn't do the survival league. Yeah. (laughs) And then Jack Robinson and Kanoa, that to me, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Kanoa Igarashi gets through. That's a really, really tough heat. Yeah. I mean, to pick, you know, I mean, everyone, like you want to go Jack Robinson, but then you're like, Kanoe Igarashi is a competitive animal. And he's shredding out there. So it's going to be ex- – all four heats are really exciting. You really, really don't exciting. know how to pick them. And, you know, it's not like at Pipe where you're like, okay, if this guy doesn't get a backdoor wave, we know fucking Gabe Medina is going to kill this guy. This, this event oh, – actually, Pipe and this event are so thrilling. This is all that we want from surf competition. Exactly. Just the North Shore of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big waves, big, scary, dramatic surf. 
where that is the primary thing is the surfer against the ocean. But then the secondary thing are these battles. And within that, you have rookies coming up, you know, that are actually contending with the best in the world. You got injuries happening because it's that chaotic. Um, it's, it's thrilling. You mentioned, well, sur- you yeah, mentioned survival yes. league. Who was your pick? You would not reveal it last event. My because, pick was because, Jordy Smith. Okay. Yeah. So event number one, you had Kanoa, which right. I learned from you in that event. Kanoa is such a sneaky good pick anywhere in the world. So I'm putting him in my back pocket. Like I've got two or three surfers that are kind of fit that thing where it's like they're going to make it past the round of 32 no matter where they are in the world yeah just keep them right here and when i'm not sure what to do pluck kanoa out um so great call for pipe and then jordy looked like a safe bet for this event but i gotta say against jackson baker i was like dude you might actually have lost with the safe pick i think jackson had 12 uh, a, a heat score of 12 before their actual pr- um priority heat started yeah I was, Crazy. I had already kind of, I was kind of like, I had already kind of went, well, I guess I lost survival league. You know, yeah. I made it, I made it further than last year. <laughs> One event further. <laughs> but Jordy came through in a big way. So I'm still alive in survival league. And the question is, are you? Yes. I had Seth Moniz. Okay. Good for you. Which so your first pick was Jack Robinson. No, you had Kelly, right? I had John, John for pipe. Okay. John, John's. So you don't get to pick John John and you don't get to pick Seth Moniz. Which I'm okay not picking Seth again. And yeah. to be honest, I did not feel confident about him going into sunset. It was a really risky pick for me. I agree. I, I told you my strategy from event number one, I go here, I'm just going to pick who I think is going to win the event. That's my yeah. strategy for the season. Yeah. I only did it for the first event. I went into sunset, completely changed my strategy and then was white knuckling the entire time because he's barely made it through his heats. And in the heat, the round of 32, he had Joao Chianca. Freaking, that was the closest heat ever. And Joao, right after the buzzer, got a wave that would have been the score, right after the buzzer. And Seth actually thought that it counted. So Seth himself thought that he lost until he got to the beach where Laura Interver is going to interview him. And she goes, no, that was after the buzzer. And Seth's like, oh my gosh, really? So I barely survived. Uh, Surf vived. And, but I'm glad because... I don't really want Seth for any other event on tour. So he was kind of, he's worth uh, ditching at this event, but that also leads me to think he hasn't peaked yet. So Seth has kind of been finding his footing. I could see him coming in hot into the quarterfinals. Yeah, that heat. I mean, like I said, like we said, all four of these heats are going to be exciting. Um, One of the things that you mentioned about Seth, not being sure if, if, um, Jao Chianka had, had caught the wave in time speaks to something that I think is sort of important to know, which is how difficult it is for the surfers in the water to know what the, what the situation is relative to how much time's left or what waves they need or what wave score they got that stuff. Um, that's another thing about sunset beach. It's so far out there and so much stuff's happening weather-wise uh, you know, conditions wise that it's really kind of hard to, to gauge um, where you're at in the heat. Well, they've solved that. They're all wearing Apple watches now that have their scores, the priority, the time. Oh, all that stuff I didn't on know it. that. That's fascinating. It's, it's brand new. Apparently they've been kind of in beta for a while, but they're implementing it now. Oh, that's really great. Good for and, them. and the, um, the caddies in the channel are also 
up to date on all that stuff. And so they can kind of communicate. Yeah. Um, so one other thing I want to touch on Carlos Munoz because he was injured at pipe last time we spoke, we weren't sure where that shoulder injury came from. Jimmy Hogan took to Instagram and explained it, broke it down. There was a wave in, uh, Carlos's that Carlos caught earlier in that heat at back door where he got a sick one. He got a good score on it. And then as he was pulling out on the end section, he got sucked over the falls and that's where the shoulder got uh, dislocated. And he didn't know it at the time. He, he felt an injury, but he just wasn't sure that it was, or didn't know it was as bad as it was because of the adrenaline. So he paddled back out and then kind of realized the seriousness of it. So he has since undergone surgery and the surgery went well, but that's all we know. We don't know recovery time yet. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. And we wish Carlos the best. We want to see him back out there with the jersey on. When it um, uh, I've got a couple of listener emails that are yeah. follow-ups from last week talking about pipeline and such. Yeah. Would you like to hear? I would. Um, let me see. This is from fat Aki. Cheers oh, boys. Good. Great content as usual. I watched the pipe contest and I have a few thoughts. Uh, point number one, Slater didn't so much as win as Gabriel didn't show up. I suspect that if Gabriel was there, the outcome would have been different. Makes me think that Slate, uh, like Slater of years past, Gabriel's very presence upsets the possibilities of most of the top five from winning contest and world championships. He dominates so completely that he sucks the opportunities from the competitors like some massive Brazilian black hole. How many titles for Slater if Gabriel didn't exist? 12, 15? It's a great point. Point number two, this moment now is a true test for how far Kelly has evolved as a person, how much spiritual growth and humility he has come to on his journey. If Slater retires now, he gets to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. This was pre-sunset event. If Slater retired right after pipe, he gets to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, untouchable by any heat loss or internet troll forever. He can get his pipe wild card. He can play golf with Benji and live in peace until he dies. If he chooses to stay and try for another world title, he turns into Darth Vader, tortured and angry forever. How will it feel for him to lose in round two at sunset to Liam O'Brien? How will it feel to watch? In the end, my feeling is that he is addicted to pro surfing, desperate for the accolades that come from winning, powerless to stop in front of his impulsive behavior, needing that next hit that becomes more and more elusive as time goes on. We will probably be forced to watch him shrivel on tour like a strung out junkie to finally be forced into retirement at some sad mid-year cut. Oh, well, like all 50 year old surfers, I am proud and stoked for him today. At least congrats on the baby, David fatherhood suits you. Cheers. Fat Aki. Dude, drop the mic. Fat Aki's bringing the hottest take ever. Those are so good. That is so epic. And he's absolutely right about Gabe Medina. I think Gabe is Gabe is at such a higher level than everyone else that that when Gabe's I mean, Gabe's favored at every single event. You know yeah, what I mean? When Gabe's totally. on tour, he's the favorite, no matter what. Doesn't matter if it's Jaws or friggin' Rio. It doesn't matter. Gabe is that much better than everybody else, competitively and just as a. I mean, he's a, he's a freak. Yeah. And wow, Fat Aki's take on Kelly is 
while I might not agree with all of it, I agree with all of it. <laughs> the overall sentiment is accurate. Yeah. I mean, the reality is Kelly's addicted to the drug of winning and he can't see where the proper exit is. So he's, he's just going to keep chasing that high until he's a shriveled junkie getting losing at the mid-year cut. Well, let me say this. And again, I don't know Kelly Slater, um, but my sense is from, from hearing, you know, look, we've been following him for 30 years or whatever. He's a competitive freak. Like I, I would almost suggest to you that he's a competitive junkie and this is an outlet for his competition, you know, for him to feed that. Yeah. Comp- that well, it's that, the highest level need. of it. Right. But what I'm saying is that his off ramp is going to be when he like discovers like, you know, the world poker tour or something else where he can feed his competitive need to be really good at something. And I don't know what that is. Golf. You would think it'd be golf, right? Yeah. You very well could be like, he might just go like senior tour golf and try to, or something, you know, like that's just not intense enough. It is though. Like what's weird is that I don't think, Kelly needs the public accolades. I think he needs to be challenged. And and believe me, I, I don't know where I bet Kelly's probably like a six index. And so he can go senior world am, you know, like there's amateur events for senior golfers that are all oh, these guys are great golfers. Like these are like the best, you know, college golfers in the world that are now 50. And Kelly would definitely be challenged on that level. Again, I don't know what Kelly's golf level is but i've seen him play and i think he's probably a single digit handicap and he could he could or whatever it is my point is is that don't be surprised if for the rest of kelly's life he's involved in some competitive league of some sort yeah but to fat Aki's point i don't think that kelly elects to do that instead of surfing until surfing completely runs off without it. I, I totally agree. Cause right now this is the easiest way for him to get his competitive fix. It's like right in front of him. And Oh, by the way, everyone wants him to do it. And there's TV involved and there's, you know, notoriety and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he's the best. He's still he's the, the best yeah, at, he's the at certain, player. certain venues. Oh, he, um, look, I want Kelly to win the world title this year. I'd be psyched. Yeah. Well, given the venues, he can, if we keep getting, I think he surf. can. I think uh, he can. Although Seth Moniz is holding the yellow jersey right now, uh, coming out of this event so far, no matter I think, what, I don't know yeah. if it's no matter what. Is it now? Well, he's but, in second. He was in second place, right? So yeah, now that he's in the quarterfinals, but I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Kyle Belly is the I, other. How would it be if Kyle Belly has the yellow jersey after this event? Incredible. That totally would be incredible. Somewhere there's an indictment of something, whether it's <laughs> the surf industry for not sponsoring him, or I don't know what it is. He's on Rusty now. He got on Rusty after last year. Okay. Um, so the other email, or there's two other ones. Uh, hey, Scott and David, thanks for the last episode. Great pipe wrap, especially the omissions by the WSL. I felt like I was on crazy pills watching the comp, and great to hear that you felt the same way about a lot of the things that happened. A um, couple of random things that it might be worth chatting. First one, I'm going to gloss over. The second one, though, he said, Tyler Wright said in an interview, and this was on ABC uh, News in Australia, Tyler Wright said in that interview that she didn't charge pipe because she didn't want to get injured. 
which I thought was lame beyond belief and just another excuse. But when Carlos Munoz gets injured out there, Liam O'Brien broke his foot at pipe the morning before the event started. Maybe she actually has a point or maybe that actually makes her look extra lame. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, food for thought, just in case uh, these are new ideas, feel free to mention it or just ignore me. All good. Ha ha. Well, look, nobody wants to get injured, right? I mean, that kind of goes without saying, but they go and they do it anyway, because that's their calling. They're professional surfers. If you're a professional surfer, you have to surf pipeline. Agreed. If you can't surf pipeline, you're not really a professional surfer. You know, now I'm not saying that Tyler won't overcome this because she's a stud. She, she's a stud, maybe isn't the right word, but she's, she's a, she's a professional. I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate that that made it's that she let that out of the bag. I think that's something that probably should have been held internally and worked through with her coaches and stuff like that. Uh, look, Completely agreed. You don't want to show your weaknesses like that. That is no. not a good strategy, but furthermore, it's alienating your fans. You're exactly right. In the history of surfing pipeline is the big beast that you want to conquer. And so it's okay to say, I'm afraid to do it but you got to paddle out there. And if you're given the opportunity to do it with one other surfer with full security or safety teams to rescue you with all the cameras, millions of dollars on the line, you know, in, in potential earnings, you have to go out there. You have to go out there and dig and give it a go. And when we see, I mean, uh, certainly the two examples he gave of guys getting injured, but in the past, Lori Towner getting his shoulder dislocated, coming to the beach, having it popped in and then going back out you know, like, well, dude, the most dangerous day ever. Um, I want to say it was like 79 or 78, but it was like Beaver Massafeller almost died out there, like literally. And then Chris Lundy, the very next heat, Chris, it was just like, it was unruly, death defying, crazy groundswell meets windswell, stupid pipe that I don't even think today they would have had the event. Yeah. But to your point, people have been dying at pipeline for a long, long time, which some listeners are going, yeah, that's why she didn't want to go out there. That's she's preserving her career. But I'm saying you don't have a careers are made. Yeah. Careers are made by going on these. And by the way, those days they were big, scary pipe, but they weren't out of control pipe, you know, like she could have gotten waves out there. So I, I have um, had criticisms about Tyler, Wright. This falls right in line. I think my criticisms were accurate. I assessed her correctly, and I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan either. But I do, I do hope that she. I mean, we'll all be um, rooting for her if she overcomes this this lack of desire to to surf pipeline. She doesn't have a desire to surf pipeline, and to me. It's hard to be a world champion if you, it's kind of like, it's hard to keep banging the drum of equality, drum of equality and parody and all this kind of stuff. If she's like, I'm not going to go surf the venue and all these people, all of her predecessors, Kiala Kenley's in the booth saying, I've been going to town hall meetings to lay the groundwork for the opportunity for these young girls. And then this millionaire female shows up and is like, no, thanks. Don't want the opportunity. I'm not interested. It's a slap in the face. Yeah. I'm opting out. I'm just going to opt out, out, but I'm still the number one surfer in the world. Oh, I'm going to go out there and do a lame layback cutback on the shoulder. 
that like <laughs> look i'm not going to criticize that we've already that cutback sucks that. dude it did it was lame it was hideous and but, they keep showing it in replays i know <laughs> it's a drop wallet on a section she should oh, be doing a roundhouse God. and smashing the it's the whitewash when that happened lat was that last year you and it, i she does it all the time she does it all the time so hard that is not backdoor pipeline that's not um, how you surface. All right. Well, here's another email that falls kind of in the same lines. Dude, thanks for publishing the podcast weekly. I recent, I appreciate all the hard work and recently became a proud paying member. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This is a $5 a month option. It keeps us in business. He said, I wanted to weigh in uh, on your analysis of the WSL's pipeline coverage. I completely agree with all the criticisms about not addressing the Slater Australia question, not calling out competitors, both female and male, and refusing to paddle for set waves, et cetera but I think you missed the biggest blunder of the event following what I would argue is the greatest victories in the history of female surfing. The WSL inexplicitly decided to go to commercial rather than show Moana being welcomed back up the beach and chaired up to the stage, like the deserving champion that she is. I don't understand how such an obvious error can occur. Moana, the hometown hero, the giant killer, returns to the beach, and before she even exits a water, they go to commercial break. I honestly thought that something was wrong with my YouTube stream, and it felt like a slap in the face to the women, the locals, the fans, and mostly to Moana. This is exactly the kind of unforced error that keeps the WSL from making the jump from an amateur product to a legitimate professional broadcast. Am I being too harsh? I can't be the only one who noticed this. Uh, I Interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks again. Keep up the good work, Scott. Well, I can't say that I remember that situation. What I do recall is that Strider grabbed her right away in the water and did an in-the-water interview, and it was lackluster. The poor girl was speechless. She just reached the pinnacle of her young career, and she was obviously overwhelmed with emotion, and it's understandable that she didn't have you know, the greatest post-heat interview with Strider. And that's when I believe they went, hey, we're going to commercial, we'll come right back. At that point, I turned it off. So I don't know what they showed or what they didn't show. This, to me, the bigger issue here is why weren't they surfing the day before? This kind of comes back to what we were talking about last time. But uh, let's just stick to what this gentleman's email is. And, and I can't speak to it. If well, they I'll did, tell you what fact, you can. Yeah, you go ahead. You, you, what you do know is... The point that he's making is that they pre-plan these commercial breaks. Right. They sell a certain number of commercials. They're time slotted in. So regardless of what's happening on air, they pitch to commercial. And yesterday I saw, I think it was Morgan Siblix. Morgan needed a wave. There's a wave on the horizon. (laughs) Kaipo starts gearing up like for the commercial, like saying, okay, later today, blah, blah, blah. And they cut to a wide angle panning back like a drone shot and you see Morgan dropping into the wave and going into a bottom turn. And then it cuts to commercial. And I'm like, you guys can't constantly do this. And so I agree. I did not see the Moana thing that he's talking about as well. Cause I had people over and we had the volume down, but they do this constantly. They cut to commercial. If you're going to build all of this anticipation for these moments. And like he said, the hometown hero, she just knocked out the champ. She got barreled the pipeline, all this stuff. And then it hits the pinnacle. You don't cut away at the pinnacle. Broadcast yeah. 101. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, um, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's, 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 you know, maybe 
WSO will look into this from, uh, um, you know, from a direction standpoint. There's got to be a, a more nimble way to deliver the commercials. There can be, yeah. an in, there can be an inset would be an easy solution, but maybe the advertisers go, well, we don't want to pay full price for an ad if there's something else on the screen. So there's got to be a more nimble way to incorporate the commercials either into the broadcast or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, an expert in the field, um, but you would think that they could go, like in basketball, like they have like a, in college basketball, they usually go at the five minute mark. You can get your guaranteed a commercial at certain moments in the- Within in the, time, the five minutes, in the, yeah. In the timing of the, so if you've got a 30 minute heat, you're like, look, no matter what we're going, no matter if there's a wave on the horizon, we're going to do a, a commercial at five minutes. We're going to do a commercial at 15 minutes. What we're not going to do is a commercial when the heat has three minutes left and we're going, we're counting down. Like we're not going to ever do that, which I don't think they do. I don't think. They well, think no, that. the problem is they're when they're running overlapping heats, even if they do the commercials at the end of the heat, it's in the middle of a different heat. Right. But my point is, is that I'm sure that they're going, look, if something happens, we'll just go to the replay. When we come back from commercial, we'll tell the people what they've missed. We've all seen that happen. Yeah, that's what they are doing. I I think that, look, at some point you got to run a commercial and you can't, you just don't know when friggin' sets are going to come. Yeah, I think think they can figure out a creative solution. You are smooth. You're constantly vying for a job over there. They need to hire you (laughs) as an overall consultant. Actually, why Uh, hire us when they can just listen to us and get the information for free? Like they have been for a number of years. Um, So... The WSL is in hot water in two other stories. I've yeah. got to kind of get off um, yeah. and move on with our day here pretty quickly, but we need yeah. to at least touch on this. We could go, do a deep dive next week if you want. Yeah. But WSL is in hot water in two different stories. Alex Botello sues the WSL for his injury uh, last year at Nazare. And then Joel Tudor is going to war with them on Instagram for um, their kind of, uh, not being actually equal opportunity employers, him him arguing that the women's or that the longboard tour is not paid appropriately. And in fact, they're using and benefiting from all of the longboard Instagram posts, imagery during commercials, all that stuff, kind of using longboarding, which gets the best engagement out of anything that they do and then not paying them appropriately and then dwindling the tour down to one event for this year. Do you have thoughts on either of these stories? Uh, you know what I I do, but I'd rather not shoot from the hip here and get a little bit more insight into both okay. of these because I don't have any insight. I did see Joel's thing, and um, I'd like to I'd like to do a little smoother dive into this. Well, I'll later. give you quick quick cursory takes. We can revisit them last week. Yeah, uh, the Joel Tudor thing is very interesting. Um, the reality is Joel says a lot of stupid things. You know, and so thankfully they're all entertaining. So it's fun for us to watch. But the the other thing is with a more prudent, uh, mild-tempered person, they often don't say anything even when things need to be said. The important things are tend to be said by guys like Joel. So of the eight out of 10 things that Joel says that aren't worth really paying attention to, occasionally two out of 10 are very uh, salient. And this is one of those things. I think Joel makes some fascinating points. Um, what was interesting was, so he posted this graphic of like, look at how much engagement 
all of these posts get that are featuring longboarding. And yet the WSL doesn't support longboarding. You know, they get paid less and there's only, there was three events on, he's their current longboard champion, by the way. There was three events on tour last year. Now they're going to be dwindling us down to one event. So we posted that, it got a bunch of traction. The WSL then, he said, Jesse Miley Dyer contacted him personally. They sent out this press release, or I don't know if it was a press release or just a letter to all of their staff saying, um, sorry, uh, I don't know if you can hear that, saying like, hey, Joel, would you please take down this post? It is not helpful. So then Joel posts all of that conversation. <laughs> it's like, hey, the WSL asked me to take it down. F them. He tags the New York Times. He says, look, they're saying they want equality or that they are equal. And they're not. Anyways, it's all interesting fodder. We can discuss it at length next week. Uh, the other story, Alex Patello sues the WSL for, quote, gross negligence, fraudulent concealment, intentional and negligent misrepresentation. Botello alleges psychological injuries from the accident, including the accident. Remember, he um, got injured on the back of the jet ski. He was in the water for six minutes before they got him to the beach. This whole lawsuit is stating that they didn't have enough ski teams in the water. In advance of the event, they said that they would have a safety team for each surfer, and they didn't. And so he said, uh, as a result, uh, psychological injuries from the accident, including nightmares of drowning, sleep and mood disturbances, gradually dissipating fear of entering ocean water again. He also lost various sponsorships and income as a result of his inability to, comp uh, to compete. The alleged claims of a negligence, uh, fraudulent concealment, intentional misrepresentation, and negligent misrepresentation. He seeks damages for past and future expenses and loss of revenue, as well as punitive damages and attorney fees. Wow, this is a lot to unpack. There's a lot going on here. According to Alex, the WSL greatly exaggerated the event's safety measures and then coerced competitors into signing waivers of liability after competitors realized the promised safety measures were not present. In the months before the event, Botella and other surfers... How were they coerced? I have no idea. They like, what did they do? I think there was a gun to somebody's head or something. Um, other surfers became concerned about the adequacy of the safety measures proposed by the WSL, prompting the surfers to propose that each team be provided with a budget to assemble their own handpicked safety team, but that was not provided by the WSL. So what are your, you want to do thoughts on this well, next my, week? My general thoughts on the second story here, but we do need to do a deeper dive because my general thoughts are, he may have a case. I don't know. He, he may have a case. You, you kind of got to go into the weeds here and see what he's really talking about. But I think a situation like this is going to get settled with the WSL's insurance company. And this guy, Alex, is going to make some money. Um, but it's probably going to do a larger disservice to big wave surfing and the big wave world tour um, than, you know, like if the big wave world tour just kind of went away, you know, I know there's only one event anyway, right? <laughs> is it Nazare? Yeah. Oh, no, Nazare and Jaws. If that thing just went away, it wouldn't surprise me. 
I because agree. you could be getting into an insurance situation where their premiums just go through the roof. Like the totally. insurance company is gonna be like, wait a minute, you have you you put these guys out in 70 foot waves? What the hell? What the right. hell are we insuring here? Well, how do you so, mitigate against all the risk? You can't. You can't. You, you can't. can't. And so yeah. I think that this could Alex could effectively cancel the big wave world tour. Now, it's again, I don't know too much about it, but that's it, it's true. That I completely agree. And it's kind of like, hey, all of you guys, you turns out the ocean. This. Who, who turns out the world tour? Now you're like suing us? Turns out the ocean is dangerous. Yeah. And when you when you enter, there's more variables than the WSL can possibly account for. And so yeah. You're going out yeah. there at your own risk and you signed a waiver for it. And so you're right. That was the right question. How are you coerced into signing this waiver? That's, yeah. How are you and, coerced? And so, yeah, I could see, look, we have a benevolent uh, benefactor in Dirk Ziff who's going to underwrite this thing at a loss of, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year. Do you really want to sue the guy? Do you really want to sue his organization? And he's doing you a favor. Well, and frankly, so that's the, the jaw thing flies into I'm, I'm it does, it completely the does. Because, because if I was the WSL, I'd just be like, you know what, let's get rid of longboarding and get rid of the big wave world tour and just focus on what we do best. So, that absolutely is part of my take. My other side of this is we've complained in the past the WSL can't be everything to everyone. Why are they running all these different tours? Why are they making movies? Why are they running a TV show on ABC? Why don't you guys just focus on running high-performance shortboard events in yeah. the best waves in the world yeah. and focus all your budget? Then you, your staff isn't spread too thin because when you're trying to do these other tangential things, you're, you're not doing a great job of any of that stuff. Well, you're you know doing what happens. It, and then people get in trouble. This kind of stuff happens. Alex yeah. Patello doesn't get rescued in time. Well, you know what happens is like companies come to the WSL, like this, they go to the sales team at the WSL and they're like, you know what we'd really like is these really beautiful women on longboards at Queens, you know, like surfing in blue water. And, you know, and so the WSL is like, holy shit, you know what? This is actually what our advertisers are asking for is these lifestyle images, you know, like people can relate to Waikiki and surfing in beautiful little blue waves and stuff and Roxy and all that. So let's create a tour and celebrate that stuff, you know? And then some other advertisers like, you know what we really want life to, you know, life, you know, life or death situations in massive 70 foot waves, you know? And, and if you do that, if you can provide that, we'll advertise, you know? And so the WSL is like, Oh, well, let's, let's create a tour. You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and that's, I, that's why we're at where we're at is because the WSL is like, Hey, there's money to be had here. Like this, let's celebrate all of surfing because apparently our advertisers can't really relate to Philippe Toledo or Idola doing, you know, 360s at Newcastle. I know. And that's where I've said it before and I'll say it again. We need a visionary at the head of the company who actually fully understands the space and educates the advertisers on what's what. Being pulled in all these different directions, not being able to staff any of those individual things up. So you're spreading your current staff thin, trying to cover all the gaps is creating a lot of problems and it's not giving the core audience what they want. And it's also not accessing the new audience. So when you look at visionaries, when you look at, <laughs> when you look at Steve jobs, when you, you look at my... Elon Musk, yeah. when you look at Jeff Bezos, yeah. Bezos is like pilfering 
his exact sellers on his platform, his greatest uh, sellers in his marketplace. He's stealing all their IP. He's stealing their data. He's stealing their IP so that he could produce an Amazon basics version. That's better than theirs. And they, but they're so indebted to him. They can't get out. And he's, he's telling shareholders, don't worry if they're pissed. I've got a bigger vision here and I'm going to have a basics version next year that we are then go. And then, you know, and it's like, his vision is so long-term and he's working towards it. Nobody can see it in the moment, but he's working towards it. I do not feel like that is what's happening here. It's not that we have a big wave world tour and all these other things, because they're all going to own everything in the future. They're just poorly done along the way for these short-term money grabs is what it looks like. Yeah, I think you're right. You you nailed it. And you know what you remind me of? You remind me of Doug Palladini. Do you know Doug Palladini? I've never met him, but I know no, who he is. is. Yeah. I've probably told you the story, but um, Doug and a bunch of people got laid off during the dot-com boom from Swell, right? And Doug was out of work for a little while. And he used to write these new email um, riffs to the surf industry, basically like his take on what's going on in the various space in the surf industry. And one of his main targets was Vans. He used to just be like, Vans has this golden opportunity and they're absolutely blowing it. Like, like email after email once a week would be like Doug on, this is what I would do to fix Vans, you know? And finally Vans is like, holy shit, let's hire this guy. <laughs> and this is why he reminded me of Doug Palladini because you're, you and I are basically solving the problems for the WSL, explaining what we would do to make it better. And they'd be wise to hire you as their their um, visionary. And the oh, end by of the that way, story is Vans is killing it. Vans now. is killing it. Ever since Doug took over, he implemented all of his policies. And and Doug, you know, he's a brilliant business guy, you know. Um, and so, yeah, Vans is absolutely killing it. And I would suggest to you in large part to Doug's vision. Completely agree, Vans. And I love Vans as a brand. They've, interestingly continued to remain loyal to the core or like relevant to the core core skaters core surfers still love vans and they're selling shoes backpacks clothing in ohio yeah and by the way to rich kids in ohio ohio and to the trailer parks in hawaii well ohio, the thing is, is and everything vans, in between vans was relevant to kids in ohio in 1976 you True. know what i mean like that, that was still their core market was a bunch of skate kids in ohio so yeah, they, they have that blessing that they're not sort of, you know, but, infenced, if that's a word, or fenced in by the coast. The way yeah, surfing. but in addition to that, it's not just the skater kids in Ohio. It's also the non-skaters. And the little detail there is that the skater kids are still wearing it despite the non-skater kids wearing it. Right. Because right. when I was a kid, Airwalk was the core, a core skate brand. Yeah. And as soon as they kind of transitioned and tried to grow the brand and there was non-skaters wearing airwalks, it was just like, screw that. I'm moving on to Etnies because now, <laughs> because now, because the whole now. footwear market's kind of funny. It's just like silly. All right. I'm late. Yeah, I gotta look, get going. We're, we're going down a wild. I'll, I'll tell you what, we're going to watch Sunset today. The finals, I think, is today. We didn't even talk about the women. However, until next time, adios and aloha.